Colorado Rapids fans. This is Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. We are brought to you by Icarus FC and Roughneck Scarves. My name is Matt Pollard, and it is Decision Day plus one, Monday, October 10th, 2022. The 2022 Colorado Rapids season is over. Diego Rubio has officially tied Connor Casey of twenty of 2009 for the single season club record for goals scored with 16. Rabbi and I now have to come up with something else to do on Saturdays, World Cup, Temple, and ski season notwithstanding. And we have heard for the last time on Altitude Sports, Marcella Baboa and Richard Fleming call a Colorado Rapids game. Joining me now, a man who knows what dog so and offsides look like when he sees them, Rabbi Mark Goodman. I do, and I will be yelling about them in the postseason in neutral matches uh, with a plum and with verb. How you doing, Matt? Uh, I'm good, Rabbi. I'm, I'm tired. I always... I really enjoyed Decision Day yesterday, and I thought it mostly lived up to the hype and was fairly exciting given how much, how little needed to be decided. We already knew who the supporter shield champion was going to be we had seven teams vying for four remaining playoff places and so i think it was fitting that of those seven teams uh six of them were playing in effective six pointers because you had rsl versus portland minnesota versus vancouver and then orlando and columbus and then even the games that just slightly had a little bit going on you know the only games that were really super boring were the very dead rubbery ones you know like i think new england chicago was maybe the only game that i would say from yesterday that had absolutely nothing going on in it so you know given that i was you know at times you know had three screens going with games going on with how little exciting that was going on i always still i always really like decision day the way that we have it at last word on sports i always like covering decision day and i prefer covering it when the rapids are away because then i'm not just focusing on the rapids game and scoreboard watching with fat mob or constantly uploading MLSsoccer.com. I'm able to do it watching three games simultaneously. Uh, I will admit that the Eastern Conference probably had the better narrative, the better story ultimately by the end of it. But uh, Rabbi, how did you enjoy it? What did you watch? What stood out for you? I just watched the Rapids game. That was the only one. Otherwise, I was just scoreboard watching because, you know, there wasn't, like you said, there wasn't a whole lot of consequential. Um, I went back and I looked at that, um, the highlights of the Columbus game, just because I wanted to see... Um, the end of Caleb Porter's term, uh, he got fired today as a result of missing the playoffs in three out of four seasons um, with Columbus and or with three out of four of the teams that he's taken, I think, was the was the statistic. But like Caleb Porter um, in a, it's an interesting question for me with Caleb Porter. Um, I, I would say like I've never been un, like uh, impressed with his 
style of managing. Um, I, I've watched a lot of, of his matches when he was with Portland and when he was with Columbus. And I think, you know, tactically and formationally, he's kind of standard. He's kind of like fairly like straightforward. There were never any like really impressive curveballs or anything like that. I mean, you know, not to take too much away from him. The guy does have an MLS cup to his, to his name. Um, two MLS cups. Yeah, Portland. Okay, he, won, he won one with Columbus and won one with Portland, right? Um, but so I guess the question I think is, um, does he like what does he do next? Like where where is he going to be next year? Is this the kind of thing where he kind of bides his time and then winds up with an expansion team in two years when uh, you know somebody makes the jump to to the big leagues? Uh, there's a, there's some talk again about Las Vegas or San Diego being the 29th team in Major League Soccer next year. St. Louis will will jump, but they already have a full complement of of everybody. So and then if 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 there isn't an MLS team for him, or is he waiting around for someone to get fired? You know, will he play? Will he will he coach at the USL level like um, Steve Girondolo did with uh, uh, with Las Vegas Lights before he wound up in in LAFC? Because that actually worked out great, and Girondolo didn't do great things with with Las Vegas. So I don't know. Matt was shaking his head. I, he doesn't think he's he's gonna you know, sully himself and his reputation by going down to USL. But I think you got to keep your, your knives sharp. I think you got to, you got to keep practice. So I don't know. That was, that was what I was thinking. Other than that, um, the kind of end of, end of decision day drama where in the Western conference, um, you know, Portland and Vancouver needed wins, um, which they did not get in order to, to kind of make it into the playoffs. And, and Minnesota and Salt Lake just limping through the back end of the season and just scraping out one last victory, um, but I have to say one last thing, which is uh, having watched Austin, they were, they were pretty solid. Having watched Salt Lake the last couple weeks, they've been pretty bad. Um, that opening matchup is Salt Lake versus Austin. And Matt, I've never bet on a soccer match, but I have to say I am tempted to put money on Austin beating Salt Lake. The, the, uh, the odds are terrible though. You, you don't make much money and you put up a, to put up a lot. Um, but I still think like, man, Salt Lake looks like they are ripe to get plucked in the first round. Yeah, no, all good stuff, Mark. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I was covering the so I was covering the uh, red line playoff games. So seeds five through seven, those results in the Eastern Conference. And then for the Western Conference, for last word, I was covering seeds one through four. And so I just I really enjoyed watching any game that ends five two is super exciting. So to see Cincinnati, you know, finally make the playoffs when I think a lot of people still had them probably would have predicted at the beginning of the season that they would um that they would be closer to winning the wooden spoon or even win the wooden spoon before they made the playoffs, I think is extremely vindicating for Pat Noonan, for that group of players. Dominic Baji, Mark, is headed back to the MLS Cup playoffs, so I think we're happy for Dom. Uh, Mark, Mark's kind of shrugging their listeners. Uh, you know, and then, you know, I think it was all about Orlando versus Columbus, and I think that... That matchup was so compelling given what the two teams did midweek where Orlando rotated heavily and got smacked by Inter-Miami. Inter-Miami qualified for the playoffs in a win on Wednesday for that. And then Columbus had, um, you know, had a two-goal lead at Charlotte in a game that had to be rescheduled that was abandoned from earlier in the season. 
and they ended up giving up the lead and so it was just like here we go again and as soon as Columbus scored I thought it was deserving because they had had they had absolutely been the better team in the first half but at the same time I was like oh shoot here we go again I can't wait to see how Columbus crew managed to lose this game to one um, and so I thought it was extremely poetic I thought it was extremely fitting the way Orlando clinched Facundo Torres on the penalty and obviously them trying to do something on set pieces that led to the handball that led to the pen and then I thought it was extremely fitting the way that Columbus ultimately um, you know bottled it and I thought deservingly Mark um, you know I know I know we don't really have so Rabbi in the NFL the Monday after the final week of the regular season is referred to as Black Monday and so that's when you know you just get an infinite number of press releases about such and such team has let such and such coach let go usually head coaches like you know I think it's an average turnover rate of maybe 25% or so in the NFL, and about half of that is just on Black Monday every single calendar year in the NFL. So, you know, I think it's I think it's fitting that Caleb Porter, at least at time of recording, 8.32 p.m. Mountain Time, is the only head coach who's been dismissed from MLS this season. Um, they have too much talent on that roster, Mark. They spent too much money. Cucho Hernandez is absolutely an upgrade over Giassi Zardes um, and Miguel Berry, for that matter. So, you know, th- they need to be better than that. This should be a team that is in the top four of the Eastern Conference regularly based on talent. If you look at just, I think it was what, I think it was 11 points, Mark, that they dropped from a winning position, 11 points that they dropped in stoppage time from conceding, and then 25 points total that they dropped from winning position throughout the season. You know, they just get half of that back. They're hosting a home playoff game. If they're a very good team while keeping a lead, this is a team that legitimately is competing for the supporter shield. So, Bad for Columbus, yay for Orlando, happy for FC Cincinnati. Um, And Mark, we won't talk about the two teams that qualified in the Western Conference. I'll I'll throw it back to you for the last real general decision day question that I have. Mark, I'm I'm wondering... You know, is it time finally for Portland to completely blow it up? Because Diego Tra has not been healthy. It's well understood the record that Portland has with him versus without him. It's night and day, even more so than what the Rapids were this season with and without Jack Price. Uh, obviously, Diego Valeria is off. Sebastian Blanco is in his mid-30s mark. You know, this is a team that kind of, going back to even the, the final years of Caleb Porter, was hanging on to this core of Central South American fl- uh, players that are now in their late 30s and just like every single year they've kind of been hanging on and in 2020 it seemed like it was going to be the end and then they won the MLS's back tournament and then 2021 is it finally going to be over they end up hosting MLS Cup they end up playing very poor in hosting MLS Cup and I'm wondering if it's time to blow it up and I have to wonder Mark is that something Giovanni Savarese wants to stick around for to say nothing of the fact that I think it's a fair question this offseason whether Merritt Paulson should still own either of the soccer teams in Portland but um, so I don't know, Mark, I think I just opened the door for you to say your piece on the NWSL news we had last week. I spoke about that without you while you were on rabbi duty last week, but I, I'm just throwing a whole can of worms with to, to you now, Mark. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I don't have a whole lot of opinion about it. It's, it's tragic. I actually, my take on the, 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 I think it was called the web report. Um, is that there wasn't Sally Yates been, report. What Yates, yeah. that's right though. The Yates report. Um, if you've been following the scandals in NWSL for the last two, three years, um, none of it's really that surprising. Um, I think the only thing that was revealed is who knew what and when did they know it? We, uh, you know, kind of subtweeting, um, you know, ancient, uh, 1970s political scandals. Um, what did you know and when did you know it? 
Um, yeah, I, I, I think with the Portland Timbers, like I don't, Matt, I don't fundamentally believe in most sports, but specifically with soccer in the overall concept of blowing it up. Like there are, you know, especially with major league soccer where, um, somebody noted the other day on Twitter that, um, the five best teams in the Western conference, five of the best teams in the West conference in the Western conference last year, Colorado, um, sporting Kansas city, uh, Seattle, Seattle. Um, I think the others that were mentioned were Portland, Portland and, um, and Vancouver are all, you know, on the other end of the table now. Um, it, you don't need to make tremendous changes to get vastly different production in a team. Um, I think Jimmy Chara is, is still really good, um, you know, but the rest of that team does have a lot. And I like Bill Tuilomo. Um, um, Larry's Mabiala statistically has been uh, pretty much of a, a sink. Um, and Matt Doyle had a real, lot of really nice things to say about Ilya's Ivasic. Um, and, and statistically speaking, he's been a real upgrade at goalkeeper. So there are pieces to build around on this team. Um, clearly, you know, Dyron Asprilla as your starting striker um, and uh, a couple other guys like uh, Yaroslav Nizgoda, who who I said nice things about at some point in the middle of the season and Matt laughed at me. And then Nizgoda proceeded to prove Matt right by not being particularly good. So he did score in the he did score in the in the one game that I saw in Portland, Mark, uh, on the on the handball that didn't get called. But uh, we'll we'll discuss officiating and VAR in a few minutes, folks. Yeah, I mean, there are pieces here, but yeah, you you really do have to move to a team where you're not really expecting you you want Diego Char to, to move into a um Drew Moore role. I mean, basically, you you want him to be a talisman and an 80th minute stopper, but you you don't really want to have to rely on him game after game and same with Sebastian Blanco. Although Blanco had a pretty decent season. So, um I think Portland will, will come back. I think they'll they'll figure it out. Okay, um, with that, Mark, let us head on to reviewing the game that the Rapids played in on Decision Day. Folks, they were at Q2 Stadium to take on Austin FC, and that game ended in a 1-1 draw. And, Mark, it was not a pretty opening half. Uh, uh, On paper, it was a back four from the Colorado Rapids, but then Sam Nicholson into a right wing back position pretty regularly dropped into a uh, a 4-4-1, or I'll even say a 4-2. And then, depending on what Yappi and Rubio were doing, maybe it was a little bit of freeform jazz up top. But Alexander Ring gets chances. Sam Nicholson forced a decent save out of Brad Stuver, who's proven to be a very good goalkeeper. Sebastian Ryusi appeared to score on a set piece after a redeflection, but was ultimately ruled offside by VAR. Mark, we'll get to this, but I think he was held onside by Darren Yappi. We'll see. Um, and then in the 51st minute, um, Yappi had a really good chance on a corner. Y- Darren Yappi getting his first start ever in Major League Soccer, Mark, which was very, very exciting. Jossie Zardes off the bench gets a good chance at the near post in the 73rd minute. Um, Fagundes and Aruti forced two really good saves out of William Yarbrough with Keegan Rosenberry making a great play on Aruti to help Yarbrough gather that 
that rebound. And then finally, in the 79th minute, uh, the dam broke defensively for the Colorado Rapids. Ryan Acosta getting pressed kind of makes a really bad pass to put Wilson under pressure. And then Wilson tries to pass it back to Acosta, who then gets picked by Felipe Martins. Um, and then Acosta proceeds to barrel into him for a penalty. Juicy steps up and converts that in the 81st minute. A minute later off of the kickoff, Diego Fagundes appears to make it 2-0. That play is ruled offsides. Uh, market looked to be pretty clear on sides to me. I'll give you a 50-50 on the Driussi chance on the set piece in the 25th minute. I will not give you 50-50 odds on that one in the 82nd. And then fittingly, typical MLS standings, typical MLS chaos and karma build up in everything. And then also Diego Rubio being a opportunist converts in the third minute of stoppage time off of a set piece. Lalo Sabubakar heads the ball back into the mixer, and then Rubio is there on the doorstep to put it in. Game ends 1-1, and Diego Rubio gets his 16th goal to tie Connor Casey's record from 2009 for the most goals in a regular season by a Colorado Rapids player. Mark, I'll start with you. Good things from this game. Um, There were uh, some nice moments of flow uh, and a few moments where the, the team kind of got into the attack and 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 looked kind of promising. Um, when uh, Diego, uh, uh, no, when, when Michael Barrio stepped onto the field, he had a really nice play down the wing that uh, felt like it was going to result in a goal. Um, and there were just a few other moments in this game where where the team looked like they they attacked at speed down the wings in ways at which I was I was I was quite pleased. There was some really nice overlap play with Estevez and um, Jonathan Lewis down the left side, also. Um, and overall, I thought Estevez had one of his better games as a Colorado Rapid. Those are those are my good points, Matt. Um, it was nice to see Yappi start, Mark. You know, it's been uh, Robin Frazier and I chuckled about this in the post game and everything, where you know he's gotten minutes at time off the bench, but it's usually been in garbage time. The results already decided, or the game state isn't really conducive to him going out there and playing his game and then getting good experience out there. It was kind of a you know go out there, show me some energy. Jossie's artist needs you know fifteen minute you know needs fifteen minutes off of his legs as you know he needs to play seventy five minutes tonight as opposed to ninety minutes. But then, you know, he finally gets a start in a meaningless game against a quality opponent. And what do you do effectively throw him into the deep end? You know, top team in the Western Conference. UC is trying to pat, you know, stat pad in order to win the MLS MVP. You got the atmosphere and everything, difficult environment. Um, I didn't think he was great in the opening 30 minutes. But, you know, I think as the game went on, he got a little bit more solid. Maybe that was something that, you know, Rubio was talking him through. But just, you know, his touch, once he got the first, you know, not terrible first touch, then he was a little bit more confident that his hold-up play was better. And then his situational awareness in terms of spacing relative to Rubio, I thought was a little bit better. And then I thought ultimately that accumulated into him being much more settled and more consistent in the second half and look he puts that ball in on the set piece and everything and maybe we're having a very different conversation about the result in this game or about how we're feeling or about how Diego you know not Diego Rubio excuse me that how Darren Yappi, you know, is setting himself up for an offseason given how feel good the performance was and opening the scoring in Major League Soccer for the Colorado Rapids for him. And then Diego Rubio, Mark, who I thought was the main catalyst for everything that was going on attacking wise, you know, with Felipe Martins in the game in the second half, uh, he can be very concacafy. And I thought Rubio was a gamer. He was a gamer when the team had to defend and was trying to press and just kind of absorb pressure from Austin. And I thought, you know, Rubio is very good in 
in those situations to kind of help, you know, bunker things down and then be an antagonist to inhibit what the opponent is trying to do. And then obviously when they're trying to play out, I still think he's the single most significant offensive facilitator for this team. He has been all season and he was in this game. And I thought fittingly, you know, he gets his one really good chance at goal right in front. It's got to be crafty. It's got to be well-timed. He's not the tallest guy in everything, but the ball is perfectly placed in there. He's going to go up and get it. He wins it. He scores his goal. He absolutely deserved to tie Connor Casey on the record. And Mark, I'll get to a really nice quote that he had about um, his former coach and about tying that record as well. But those are my two good things. Mark, where would you like to start with bad things, given that this was obviously not an exciting performance? But also, do we really care given it was a dead rubber match? Um, I mean, uh, I, I, I put in the energy to watch this match, so I suppose uh, I'm going to put in the energy to review it. <laughs> um, it doesn't, I mean, of course it didn't really matter. I think one of the things that did matter, a negative, was Ralph Prizzo didn't start. Uh, I think that was really disappointing. Anthony Marcanic didn't start. That was disappointing for me. I, I think you could make the argument if you were Robin Frazier... Um, knowing how coaches kind of do things, you know, you want to start your best 11 players, but, or maybe you want to start a guy who has something to prove, but I can see a world where Anthony Marcana gets non-tendered in the off season and winds up in USL. And you might ask yourself if that happens, like, why, why wouldn't he start the last three games of the season? So you couldn't prove whether he wasn't an MLS caliber product. I mean, maybe he, he's just not good enough. Um, which, you know, is the argument for why guys like Michael Edwards, you know, or, or Sebastian, um, uh, Anderson, uh, Anderson are, are, are down in USL and not with the, with the senior team. But, um, the, I guess the, the bad thing, Matt, Right around the time I finished writing a full review of Danny Wilson's 2022 season, in which I noted that his defensive performances weren't that great, but they were always made up for us both statistically and with the eye test with his passing. No sooner did I write those words than he makes a flubbed back uh, side pass um, down the left side to, I think, Keegan Rosenberry while under the press after a back pass from Brian Acosta right into the path of an Austin FC player who then stuffs it into the back of the net. Um, so, you know, uh, Danny had a pretty fine game. He had a pretty fine season, but um, the mistakes cost us. And I feel like this season, um, losing the ball under the press at the back was a thing that happened a lot more this year than last year. It felt like last year we were just needed tidy at the back and we were really good actually at even taking those opportunities, those moments where um, we were getting pressed and turning them into a net positive for ourselves by sucking in the defenders, stepping around them and then playing out. Like if you're going to high press the Rapids and you're going to put three, four, five guys into the press once you beat them, right, once you make that outlet pass down the wing or once you deliver a 40-yard bomb to the middle of the field, you've cut out five guys and it's, you know, it, you've got nothing but daylight to the end. I mean, the team that we've done that against more than any other team over the last two, three seasons in my experience, the team that we've wrecked in transition because they press too much is the Galaxy. I feel like the Galaxy are often like... And a team that the Rapids play end-to-end, there's just not a lot going on in the midfield. They just bypass or they press and the Rapids just go right around them. Um, 
we just didn't do that this year. And this game was a great example of that, where we probably could have got out of there 0-0, but we choked. And we got lucky because the referee wound up giving us a gift in the in the 88th minute or 87th minute with a non-red card, red card call um, that ultimately ended with the Rapids scoring a goal at the death. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess my bad things are they didn't start the players I wanted and uh, and my guy, uh, uh, Danny Wilson, dropped a turd. Yeah, no, I'll I'll generally agree with you, Marker. I guess it's it, Danny's season is perplexing to me. Like it's he's the one that I probably have the hardest time like truly picking out. Were the issues where he looked bad on film was that on him or was that something else going around him? I think we can agree that for all Lawless did, Lawless Abubakar did offensively this season, he has regressed defensively. I think we can agree that Keegan Rosenberry hasn't been the lockdown Iron Man that we've known him to be in the last couple of years. Granted, you know, he he moved around a couple of different positions because, you know, Robin still really liked the back three. And look, I the long term, we'll get to this in a few minutes, folks, but, you know, we'll get in looking at the season as a whole, the long term answer to what do you do without Austin Trusty, I think, was an incomplete right up through this game where clearly it was a back five with Sam Nicholson playing as a right wing back so that Keegan could be that third center back and playing on the left as opposed to the right as well. But, you know, I I agree with you, Mark, that Danny generally is the best passer out of the back that they have from a center back perspective. I think the only one that's better from a playing out of the back standpoint is maybe Jack Price when he's healthy, which he was not this season. You know, but it feels like every single time there was a defensive breakdown and ultimately a goal that was conceded and Danny didn't look good or it seemed like he was the last man off. He's yelling at somebody else. We've seen this from the run of play. We've seen this from set pieces. And so I don't know if there's something systematically that's not working, that just the people around him haven't been good, given that Danny and Jack are normally the the quarterbacks on the field anchoring what what they're doing defensively. Or is that Danny deflecting blame for something that's been his own fault? I have no doubt it's been probably a mixture of both in the same way that it was for Austin Trusty, where, you know, maybe the four minute highlights on MLSsoccer.com made him look particularly bad when goals were conceded. But I can't really put my finger on that. And so, um, you know, some something in there isn't working and maybe it's Danny not playing particularly well. And maybe it's everybody else around him being bad in addition to him being bad. Maybe it's something systematic. But uh, Mark, earlier today, I released the 2022 Colorado Rapids Independent Press Corps Awards, which you can all check out lastwordonsports.com. Um, I will put a link in the show notes for those of you who are interested. Mark, you and I both voted. Joe Samuelson was on there. Brendan Plone. Um, guys over at DNVR were on it as well. John Babiak from Burgundy Wave. You can see the whole list of people who were invited to vote. But uh, Jack Price won narrowly over Brian Galvan for injury, injured player of the year, as in the player whose injury was affected, affected the first team most. And so, Mark, I kind of want to highlight your question about what's gone on. With Danny, I think a lot of this comes back to he hasn't had a lot of protection. And so um, what I said about Jack Price, quote, um, uh, he's the most important player on attacking set pieces other than maybe Rubio. He's the most important player 
uh, to playing out of the back. The midfield was a mess this year due to departures, inexperience, and lack of physicality. A healthy Jack Price for 34 games makes that problem a lot smaller and would have better protected a center back core that took a step back this year. If Price is healthy, this team makes the playoff. There's no doubt in my mind. End quote. That is from me. And so I'm wondering how much of this mark is just, we know what Danny Wilson is. He's never been an elite 1v1 defender. At this point, he's, if he's, I think, I think he's either 29 or 30. He might be 31 by now. He's not going to become that player. And just simply having Jack Price and Kellen Acosta papered over his biggest weaknesses and having Lawless Bubakar having his best year uh, as a club player in 2021 allowed him to excel in ways that Austin Trusty having senior itis maybe made that a little bit worse. The team generally being defensively worse on set pieces made it worse and not having the single most important player around him from a possession, from a defensive and from a communication standpoint in Jack Price maybe undid it. But I don't think Danny was great in this one, Mark. I'm tempted to say that Brian Acosta was more at fault for the penalty because he made the initial bad pass to put Danny in a bad position and there was really nothing good that he could do with it other than boot it out for a for a, a throw-in or a corner maybe so I think they're both at fault certainly but Brian Acosta makes the initial bad pass could have prevented that and then by responding to that by barreling into Felipe Martins from behind um, you know Brian Acosta has not covered himself in glory in terms of giving up penalties so far this year um, my other bad things, Mark, I didn't really like the parking of the bus and everything. I would have liked to seen them be at least a little bit more dynamic or at least not have it in a back five with Sam Nicholson, though I think Nicholson did well for what he was asked to do in this game. Um, and then I agree with you on not playing the kids. Ralph Prizzo not getting a start disappointed me. Mark Hanisch not getting on the field disappointed me as well. And we'll get to this in a minute, Mark. I wonder not seeing Drew Moore play when he was on the bench for his final game of his career was maybe a little bit disappointing. But also, I think it's fitting that his final appearance was in a home victory at home in front of the Burgundy and Blue Faithful and doing that in a game against FC Dallas. I think that would have been more fitting than in the game against Austin. But if we're talking about the Austin game of the Rapids trying to get a result, um, I think switching to a back three with three proper center backs maybe would have helped stabilize things a little bit better in those final 10 minutes. I think Drew Moore could have done that. Um, Mark, let's get to the officiating because... I'm struggling to come up with, in the VAR era of Major League Soccer, a worse game that I've seen officiated in MLS, Rapids-related or otherwise. Uh, as I said earlier, I think it's 50-50 on whether or not the first UC goal is offsides. I think Darren Yappi could have been keeping him onside, but maybe there's some angle that's going to come out from uh, from Pro or from MLSsoccer.com's instant replay series that I haven't seen yet. So I'll give them the benefit of the doubt on that one, even though I am suspicious. But I don't think there's any question mark uh, late in the game when Drew UC runs down a long ball and Lal Sububakar directs his path into him and shoulders into him, that that's dog so. That's a red card. And I still haven't seen an angle that shows that shows the Fagundes goal in which he is offside. Every single angle I've seen either makes it clear that he's onside or makes it look like where I have to guess because the angle's not great that he's onside. Uh, this is a poor officiated game, Mark. In that regard, I think Austin fans have a right to be upset. I think the Rapids are certainly lucky to have gotten out of there with a point or at least gotten out of there, you know, it, let's say Rubio puts that last ball um, on the corner over the bar. I think the Rapids are lucky if it's only a 1-0 victory. I think realistically it probably should have been 2-0 and then a red card for Lawless. But, um, you know, I 
I'm relieved, Mark, that it was as bad an officiating performance in one of the few dead rubber games on the day for Decision Day. Anything you want to say about the officiating, Mark, or shall we move on to big things? Yeah, I don't think Pierre Luce Lausiera is uh, going to be looking at a lot of uh, center spot referee assignments in the near future. That's the that's the um, number one ref in this match. But, um, you know, uh, there is a world I, I kind of I saw what he was looking at when he made a no call on Lalas Abubakar's, you know, kind of shoulder check of Driussi in the open field uh, because it looked from the first look like a 50-50 ball where they went shoulder to shoulder. But once you kind of replay it a couple times, you realize like, oh no, he he fouled him. He fouled him on, on the way to the goal. Uh and and that's all there is to it. So um the other the other calls I think were were more regular. Like I think that last call because because it ended in um a no call that didn't get um uh, that didn't result in Austin killing off the game. And then I think the last thing is this, Matt, and it's not really about the officiating, but, you know, the fans rained down booze on the referee at the end because Austin got out with a 1-1 draw. But to be very honest, Austin choked at the end. And there's no denying that, right? Like, yeah, totally, the referees gave them an opportunity they shouldn't have had the rapids an opportunity they shouldn't have had but like you cannot fail to defend a free kick a corner kick the way austin did um and expect you're going to win major league soccer games you are going to get bad ref calls both for and against you throughout the season and in the playoffs and if you're going to let your guard down in the 90 plus third minute um you're going to get um rogered but good you're you're just gonna you're gonna give up opportunities like that so you can't do that you're gonna get toledoed is what you're saying mark you're gonna get toledoed actually i felt like that was even beyond a toledoing but i don't even it's been so long since i saw a good toledo game i can't really define for you anymore what what a baldomero toledo game for me a bald a classic baldomero toledo game is watching him in the 35th minute make an unbelievable like like he barely touched him foul call and then 15 minutes later have two guys just absolutely obliterate each other and have him make no call whatsoever that's toledo to me is that is that like there's no consistency and then in the 16th and then in the 60th minute he decides it's yellow card time and then just gives out like five yellow cards in the final 20 minutes that is a but yeah um to your a baldomero toledoing <laughs> to your point mark i'm not sure that i've ever seen a good baldomero toledo game but um i've seen games where there there it was it was uh, innocuous where um, had I not known that Baldomero Toledo was refereeing, I would not have known anyone who was refereeing. I've watched games where I haven't, um, haven't had any problems with it. There was a match the other day. There was a, um, I can't remember if it was an NCAA game or a, or a USL game where Soren, Soren Stoika was the ref. And I find him to be mostly inoffensive and, and completely innocuous. And he just totally kicked a whole bunch of calls in that match. It was killer. So, oh, well. So let's move on to big thing, Mark, and the two big ones for me. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I think the the way the team overall finished the season, even though they dug themselves too big of a hole, I think, you know, with 10 games to go. But I think especially with playing the final two games of the season, 
with playoffs already gone, the way that they performed and getting the result against FC Dallas and then getting a hard-fought draw against Austin. You know, you look at it, it's four points against the second and the third best team in the conference. I think that shows, um, I think that gives a better energy and a better ending to the season to give them, to make them feel better going into the offseason. So the two quotes that I have on that um, our post game, one from Robin Frazier, you know, to have one loss in our final six games, albeit the, it was a four, one against LA galaxy, I believe Mark. So, um, this is Robin Frazier's thoughts on how the season ended quote to have one loss in our final six games. That's a good feeling. We wanted to finish with a proper performance. The objective the past three weeks was to prove we're better than where we are in the table. We did that. Generally, I would agree with Robin, both on performance and on results. Rubio also said, you know, if we look at this game from a results standpoint, trying to make the playoffs, it's a point on the road when the teams have been a bad team on the road against a very, very good team and a very good team at home. And then Rubio was some really just, you know, um, endearing and humble response to uh, to a question that was asked about him tying the single season goal record. He said, quote, knowing it's a tie with the legend Connor Casey, my former coach, it's an honor. It's great to be on his level. I need to be a champion like him. Hopefully we can do that next year. Um, and then also we found out, Mark, in terms of the offseason, well, obviously there's exit interviews that will be coming up in this next week, uh, next this coming this week now. Uh, Robin Fraser will be off to India to see his daughter play in the women's youth, I believe the under-17 Women's World Cup. So um, hopefully Robin's getting some good uh, chicken masala or some, some tandoori chicken while he gets texted at 3 a.m. in the morning from Pork about some scouting report they have on some kid coming out of, uh, you know, coming out of the draft after something so good for robin to finally get some time off um those are my two big things mark um highlighting the way the team ended the season that hopefully propels them forward going into their offseason preparation and you know i thought ultimately the season you know effectively the last kick of the game was emblematic uh, i think it's fitting that the season ended with diego rubio scoring a goal in the final couple seconds to tie that record if nothing else as much as this season was a failure for him individually it was a success and to get the record the way he did given how the game happened um was fantastic and you know i i, I think this is the I think we can say, Mark, when, you know, whenever Connor Casey or Omar Cummings had a really good season offensively, it was the two of them playing well and they had each other. When Rubio had his last really good season from a number standpoint, he had Kai Kamara playing up top and the two amplified each other. Given how inconsistent the help was and the fact that he didn't have a proper wingman, pun intended, uh, in a Brian Galvan who was injured or in a better Jonathan Lewis or in a more, in a Michael Barrios, who was able to play 90 minutes, I think I feel comfortable in saying this is the single best individual Rapids attacking season, season by a forward in a Rapids shirt ever. Um, Mark, big things from you. I don't really have a whole lot of big things or, you know, the biggest thing is the season's over. Um, and I think from a, sta- a fan standpoint, a, super, a supporter standpoint, that's where we're at, which is like, you know, we've now shifted into either I'm going to watch the MLS from a neutral standpoint, or I'm going to watch the EPL and pick a team, or uh, I'm going to experience um, all there is to offer with uh, Russell Wilson uh, quarterbacking the Detroit, the the Denver Broncos. Broncos country, I'm dead inside. Oh no! 
Um, yeah, and and here in Pittsburgh, we're they're already like lining up to say fire Mike Tomlin. So um, you know, and that's that's where it's at. I mean, like fall in America is the diehard soccer fans stay diehard soccer fans and everybody else turns on the throw ball. So um, that's where it's at. You know, it's like pick your poison. And then for, for the super nerds like me and Matt, we'll be watching re-entry draft stage two to figure out what the Rapids are doing and, you know, so on. And I'll start watching NCAA soccer to see, you know, who are the promising seniors that might come out in the, um, in the, in the super draft and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and so that's, it's the it's the changing of the seasons. Um, unfortunately, in this, which is about to be um, my tenth season covering Major League Soccer, um, I have seen far more seasons where the Colorado Rapids were not in the playoffs, and I spent the playoffs sadly, you know, watching the weather get colder and colder, uh, and then watching people in MLS uniforms at the final match in parkas trying to stay warm and not, you know, get frostbite, um, while the rest of us were just sitting around twiddling our thumbs waiting for next season to start. So, um, I guess the other thing, you know, it's not a really big thing, but like, you know, the, 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 uh, trailer, I guess, dropped for League's Cup uh, in the in the last week, and I think um, I am now a League's Cup convert. I think it's going to be a fun little competition. Um, I think the big question is, based on the format, whether the Rapids are even going to play a single team from <laughs> from Mexico, or if they do, whether it'll make any difference. Um, you know, I and mean, that'll be that'll be a good opportunity, I think, for fans. Uh, they will play a team. Uh, every single team, every single group of three will have at least one Mexican team based on the seating. But with, well, I guess that's good. With the for those who are wondering, I talked to I broke down the League's Cup format on the show last week solo pod, um, and the based on the results over the weekend, uh, the Rapids did not finish in the top sixteen for the Supporters Shield, so they will ultimately be. Let me double check that mark to make sure I don't get that wrong. I am correct. The Rapids finished 18th in the Supporters' Shield. So they will be one of the random draws, folks. So there will be an MLS team um, in their group. There will be a Liga MX team in their group. And they will be drawn in based on something geographically. Um, and then so, Mark, it's the, it's the West, the Central, the South, and the East. Rapids are definitely not East with St. Louis City coming into MLS. I think it's highly doubtful, even if in a draw situation, that the Rapids would ultimately end up in the South. So I imagine they're either going to be in the West or they're going to be in the Central. And given that Real Salt Lake finished 14th in the uh, in the supporter shield standings, Mark. I think there's a decent possibility that regardless of which one it is, from a geography focused standpoint, that the Rapids could end up getting a a Rocky Mountain Cup game out of that, which would be interesting. So, if nothing else, Mark, I'm really excited to see a Liga MX team come to Dick Sporting its Park for. I want to say the first time ever, unless there's some random friendly from like 2004, I'm misremembering. Or yeah, they played Santos Laguna in uh, in some sort of cup match a couple of years ago, and even before that, there was one other team back in the old days of like the Superliga. 
Okay, so um, I think that's it for uh, Leaks Cut. Mark, anything else that we want to say about Austin or the season ending, or shall we move on to... This has gone on too long. It's, 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 uh, we've, we've belabored uh, what was a totally meaningless game into something meaningful, which I suppose is really our brand, Matt. Yes, this is, why, this is why the 100 people who listen to this episode and the 15 people who are still with us, Mark, this is why they're with us here. We love them. We love those people. We love you. Yeah, um, I think it's worth saying, Rabbi, you know, like... Listeners, watching a sports team that's bad isn't fun, and then watching your team lose and then consuming sports media around that team while it's losing are not fun. So I just want to say, anybody who even listened to one episode of us this season, we appreciate you. Like Heroes. Yes. Absolute Absolute legends. Absolute legends. So, Rabbi, let's move on. We had – this is something we've done for a couple years now, folks, where at the beginning of the season, we kind of ask 11 questions that we think will define the season, and then we revisit them with our answers to how they ultimately ended up. So we'll go through that. Rabbi, I will start with the first question back to you, which uh, we set as, will the Rapids actually sign a DP, and how will they build a competent attack? Ultimately, we now know that that designated player signing was Giassi Zardes. Mark, how important was Giassi Zardes? Was he worth it from a money standpoint from Columbus? Uh, Generally speaking, would you be interested in him returning? I wouldn't be opposed, but I, I've heard, uh, I think Joe Samuelson, when he came on the pod, uh, had a few ideas and statements about um, some, and based on the reporting, I think of Brendan Plowen, uh, there are certain triggers that Jossie hit that caused the price to go up on, um, on Jossie for for either for this year or for next year i don't remember but like basically like zardes on two hundred thousand is a pretty good deal zardes on 750 is not and i think that he's probably going to wind up being closer to 750 for the rapids than 200 so i think that that's like a, a cut bait situation um you know for for my money the rapids need to spend their dp money on a position that's slightly you'd get slightly more value out of. And by that I mean like you have to pay an obscene amount of money to get a top flight number 9. You have to pay an obscene amount of money to get a top flight number 10. So to that end, and I wouldn't go the Tim Howard route, right? I wouldn't go and sign a DP goalkeeper even though there was some argument back when they signed Tim Howard as to like Pound for pound, a goalkeeper, money, dollar for dollar, a goalkeeper can actually affect the game enough that overpaying at that position might make sense. Um, For me, I think the Rapids probably should either overpay to go get a defensive midfielder who's amazing or overpay to get a winger who's amazing because they're positions where, um, you know, there's there's they have a huge impact on the game and they're typically not the most expensive player on the field. The other position that I might go for that would be a DP level acquisition would be left back. Um, and I would go to, you know, Europe uh, or I would go to South America and go get somebody at any of those positions um, to really show off. The The question I think with left back is like, or, or left wing is, is Brian Galvan going to come back? But like, you know, I think, um, I think we know what Jonathan Lewis is and we know his limitations. We know that Michael Barrios is only getting older and so his production is going to continue to decline. We know that there's really nobody at 
uh, defensive midfield. I mean, I, I would love a twin pivot with Jack Price at one position and a true defender at the other position. And then you get like an N'Golo Conte kind of roaming destroyer um, uh, uh, type guy or a Jermaine Jones roving destroyer type guy at that position. Although maybe not with the attitude problems that Jermaine Jones had and the health history. But those are my ideas. Like that, that's, that's where you go out and you spend a, a DP. Um, will they do it? You know, I wanted to say no. I wanted to say there's no way they go out and get a DP, but like they did get a DP. You know, it, they got Jesse Zardes. It took a couple extra months into the season, but they did spend the money on a DP. Was he the dream DP we'd always hoped for? Nah, not really. Did he really do what we wanted? No. I said the over-under on goals for him was 12, and I think Jossie ended the season on 9 um, or 10, one of the two. I think it was 9. Um, so he, he was... he. He underperformed, and he wasn't really what we were hoping for. I think to that end, though, they're going to go out and get one DP in the offseason. I just hope they're not going to dump that money on an expensive number nine. Now, Matthew, I have a question for you. The question I have for you, back earlier in the season, um, Kellen Acosta at the very beginning of the season got into a contract dispute with the front office over what he was going to be resigned for. Um, and ultimately it meant that the team was, uh, was going to ship him off to LAFC for some good assets in exchange. They went out and got, well, not exactly in exchange, but they also went out and got Brian Acosta who had formerly been with FC Dallas. Um, Matt, it's not a one for one, uh, trade, but let's just say that it is. How did the trading of the Acostas look in hindsight? It was bad. <laughs> they traded Kellen Acosta. And OK, I'll give you that maybe they thought they needed a little bit more in order to do stuff. So, you know, the Kellen Acosta trade, folks, was ultimately for $1.1 million. Half of that was in game for 2022. I assume a decent chunk of that ultimately at the end of the day is or has gone to Columbus Crew. And then half of that was for 2023. We'll see what Pork does with it. And then there were about four. 100k in gam in certain performance metrics if we look at what kellen acosta did this season from an individual standpoint 28 starts 23 games played 2500 minutes played two goals five assists if it's just based on what he's typically been with the rapids based on individual performances it's absolutely there if it's does lafc make the playoffs does lafc win mls cup well they've already won supporter shield so if it's one of those then it's there so the only thing that i could think of mark that's uh, that's a performance incentive that ha- we don't already know and probably hasn't already been hit. It's does LAFC win MLS Cup and does Kellen Acosta make the World Cup roster? I think are the only two possible ones that are out there. And so, okay, if you need a little bit more in order to ensure that you could pay for what Jossie Zardes was going to cost at the end if he was totally high, I could understand it. But I don't think there's any doubt, Mark, this was the the single most befuddling trade in a vacuum. I can see where you could argue based on how Mark Anthony K had been playing that, you know, that you got that amount of money. You were never going to get that much for for a player of his caliber, probably again in MLS. You know, if you have a guy that's on a down spurt from a form standpoint and you can double your money in less than a year with him, absolutely you sell him. Did you still sell Kellen Acosta at top dollar? Absolutely. But you gutted your midfield combined with Colbassa not being back and then Jack Price not hurt. It's almost unfair, Rabbi, for me to say it's a Acosta for Acosta situation because then as soon as Price went down, you know, only made, I think, what, 11 appearances of the... 34, then Brian Acosta got forced into the Jack Price role. And so what we know now is that 
Brian Acosta is probably your average, you know, replacement for Jack Price. There's some things that he can do pretty well. There's some stuff, obviously, that he doesn't do great of. He's not great passing out of the back. He makes some mistakes defensively that Jack Price, I don't know, would do better in those moments, but would prevent those moments from occurring. I thought gradually he got better in terms of his set piece service, but he's not Jack Price from an attacking standpoint. So really, Mark, your question is, does a combination of Colin Warner at times Felipe Gutierrez towards the end of the season, maybe Ali the Rosin training, Ralph Prizzo at times, Nicholas Mosquito before he brought in. Does does an amalgamation of the role players put together equal Kellen Acosta? Absolutely not. If I Frankenstein all of those players together, I have something that is almost Kellen Acosta. Um, this is the single biggest departure of the season from 21 to 22 that I think ultimately hurt the team. Did they still get top dollar? Yes, but... Um, you know, Mark, given what they got from Mark Anthony Kane, what they didn't do in the offseason, that 550K in 2023 GAM, and then whatever out of that 400K is for next coming calendar year, better be pretty damn well spent because Kellen Acosta was great for the team that finished in the supporters' shield, and Kellen Acosta is probably going to the World Cup. And the big thing that I still don't understand, Mark, is there was a, I believe the the contract that Acosta was on had a team option for 2023. And so why not bet, you know, every single move that the Rapids have made on Acosta has been betting on him, and he's made that work for the club. He's made that work for him. He's made it work for the national team. Why not bet on him? Assume that he's going to the World Cup. He does something great. Pick up the team option, and then just wait for somebody to come in for two, two and a half million in January. I, I will never... Un, I, I've asked Pork multiple times about this. I've never really understand the logic behind this. This was a bad trade. It ended poorly. Mark, moving on, another move that maybe uh, was a little bit confusing in the long run, or at least bit the Rapids in the long run, was Austin Trusty, who we knew before the season was ultimately a Arsenal player on loan for the Rapids. And the question was, how was the back line going to cope with his midseason departure? Mark, I will couple this into the uh, what happened in terms of Rapids maybe having senior-itis, given what we've now seen him do with Birmingham City and the Birmingham City faithful chanting USA and even some parts of Arsenal Twitter saying to bring him back from his loan in January for the second half of the season. Um, what does that say about maybe the performance that we didn't get out of trusty that we needed in the first half of the season and ultimately what happened in the aftermath with Gustavo Fiasia being a red card machine, Abubakar Keita being injured for the entire season and Robin Frazier having to just duct tape the back line on a game by game basis. Um, so the question is like, what do we do going forward without Austin trusty effectively, which is like, so what we saw this year was there were three options. The Rapids kind of dealt with option one was to go to a four man back line with Wilson and, uh, 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 Lalo Abubakar. Option two was to give Gustavo Viasia a try as either, um, one of the three in the three back. Although I don't think that happened very often. Um, but he often had to step in when Wilson went down with a few um, knocks and uh, in injuries at some point in the season and when Lalas Bubakar missed a, a game or two here for yellow card accumulation. Um, and then the third option was you slide Keegan Rosenberry over, who's a right back naturally, and then you um, put Stephen Betashore in at his spot. Um, none of those options or Abubakar Keita 
seems like a great option for next year, right? I think that Danny Wilson is probably moving into a position next year where he shouldn't be penciled into the lineup every week. Um, you hope that Abubakar Keita comes back from the knee injury and is ready to slot in as one of the three in the back. But we don't really know what we're getting with Keita in terms of like open field tackling ability, in terms of speed. You know, what Trusty could do was tackle and run down balls, and he had a lot of ability to run in the midfield. Um, and neither um, Lalas Abubakar nor... Danny Wilson gives you that. So we need another guy. And I think that they're going to go out in the offseason and go get, I think they're either going to cut bait with Gustavo Viasia or um, just get another center back and maybe move on from one of the center backs we currently have other than Lalas Abubakar. But we need another center back. Um, we need someone who can replace some of the open field tackling ability of Austin Trusty, um, but maybe not. A, a like for like because you know he he brought a lot um a lot of rapids fans will remember mostly just the errors in his final games after he was already slated to move over to england um but if you look before the trade statistically speaking and in terms of his individual game performance he was very good austin trusty was very good and he was also the the main harasser right um if you look at their stats both Wilson and Lalas Abubakar, their job was to sit back on the back line and scoop up balls and block balls and clear balls. And it was Trusty who was the mayhem maker. And so, of course, he's going to miss some tackles and get some bad fouls. But, like, overall, Trusty did that very well. So how are we going to cope with him? Eh, you know, we're going to need to bring in someone at least half as talented as him. And we hope we click on that one. All right, Matt. Will Michael Barrios be as effective... Uh, as he was this season next year, will he be more effective, perhaps because the pieces around him will be more functional, or he'll just have a better season and, you know, kind of go into his age 31 year uh, looking really, really sharp? Or will Father Time be undefeated and catch up a little bit with Michael Barrios and will he be less effective? What do you think? Michael Barrios was much less effective in 2022 than he was in 2021. And I think, unfortunately, this is now who he's going to be unless Robin Frazier relegates him to primarily a super sub role. If we just look at his stat line between last year and this year, uh, in 2021, he had 33 games played, 25 starts, a little over 2,100 minutes. Eight goals, six assists, so 14 goal contributions. This year he has 10 goal contributions, two goals, eight assists in 1,911 minutes, so 200 minutes less. And then the key factor there was he started many fewer games. He started 19 games this season to 25 last year. On average, he played in he played in every single game this season, 34 appearances, um, and then on average he had 56 games played. So effectively he was a starter that was subbed out, and then he was a late substitute as well. I kind of agree with that from a tactic standpoint mark from Frazier's thinking, even though I know a lot of fans were kind of upset about that or would be fuddled when the lineup comes out and see Lewis starting and Barrios not on the right wing, but I can see where the game state settles, especially at home at altitude to where if you know there's going to be space in behind, Barrios is the single best player to have in that situation and have him going against the opposing left back when they have 70 minutes under their legs and Barrios is completely fresh, I think is maybe a bigger net positive than having that happen over the course of, you know, 65, 70 or even maybe 90 minutes when Barrios is getting run down. Um, 
He's 31 years old. Uh, he's still pretty fast. But we know Father Time is undefeated. It's only going to get worse. Do I think Barrios could be better next season than he was this season, depending on other things that are going on around him? Absolutely. I think the reality is we're not going to see eight goals and six assists ever again. Best that he ever did in FC Dallas was five and 15, and he had another year that was six and six as well. Um, I think 10 goal contributions and however you want to make that up, um, you know, is fine by me, I think is the most that you can hope for going into next season. I think similar to Danny Wilson, I think he's a start in certain tactical situations. And then he's a 25th, he's a 25, 20 minute sub as well. It's disappointing that he, it's disappointing, but expected that he didn't perform as well as he did this season. I think the bigger issue is that the Rapids didn't get other production from a wide role. I think we now know what Jonathan Lewis's ceiling clearly is, and it's not the potential that he was um, regarded as having when he was a 20 or a 21-year-old. And I think definitely not having Brian Galvan in a similar role as well certainly hurt that production that would have made up for what Michael Barrios is no longer. Uh, Mark, <laughs> question number five, uh, will Jack Price once again lead the team as the set piece Kings in major league soccer? I'll amend that Mark to say, what did we miss from Jack Price from a set piece standpoint? What did we make of what Brian Acosta was able to do in his stead? And at times, uh, Felipe Gutierrez in the set piece provider role. And what do, do we think the Rapids can return to being the set piece Kings of major league soccer in 2023? They can if Jack Price is healthy, but Brian Acosta and, and Felipe Gutierrez are not a substitute for, for Jack Price in any way, shape, or form. Price had an exceptional season in 2021. Whether that's repeatable is a really good question. I think a lot of this is on Robin Frazier, back to my previous point about going to a twin pivot, um, or figuring out like how to make sure that Jack Price can be used in the most effective way. There's a lot for for Robin Frazier to figure out in the offseason um, in terms of like, all right, just rolling out a newer, fresher version of the team that was successful in 2021 is not going to work. Because I think that that was his theory this year. Like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Keep most of the team the same. You know, yeah, we're losing Cole Bassett. Yeah, we lost Sam Fiennes midseason 2021, but we'll be fine. And the answer is no, no, dude, we're not fine. You can't do that, right? Like you've got to find other pieces and then you have to find tactical and game setup uh, positions that will use those new pieces in the ways that are they're best effectively used for, right? Um, Porik can do, and I'm not putting this on, I'm not saying 2022's failures were on Robin Frazier, but like, Pork Smith could put all the right players on the field for Robin Frazier, and he could really Anthony Hudson it up, right? He could he could say he could put the guys on the field and then get terrible performance out of them. Because like one of the things we learned with Robin Frazier was that um Anthony Hudson really didn't know how to use the pieces that were in front of him because there weren't a huge amount of changes in 2019. And uh, and Robin Frazier showed a lot of improvement with that team anyways in 2020 also. So, um, so yeah, anyways, or 2020 was the year that I was thinking of with Robin Frazier. So will Price once again lead the team to being the set-piece kings? It really depends um, on how he uses the pieces. I think he will get 
to be, I'm going to split the difference and, and and sidestep the question, sort of. I think he will be better than he was in 2022, but never again. I don't think Jack Price is ever again going to approach um, having, you know, what what was it, the second most assists in Major League Soccer like he did in 2021. All right, Matt. Um, question number six. Will William Lar- Yarborough again be at the top of the league in clean sheets? How did you think of Yarborough's season this year? Um, were some of the struggles that the team had on him? Where does Yarborough rank in the league in terms of goalkeepers for you? Is he an upper echelon guy? Is he kind of mid-tier? Should the team think about maybe going fishing for something new there? Will Yarbrough did not lead the league in clean sheets, unfortunately. I am scrolling through Mark Transfer Market on the page they have for this to try and find him. Um, actually, he had 10 clean sheets, which was fifth, which was tied for fourth in MLS. So it would have been, is this for 2022? It is for 2022. Okay, so Andre Blake, who will probably win goalkeeper of the year, Mark had 15. Sean Johnson, NYCSC at 14. Uh, Gabriel Solina, um, from Chicago Fire, now Chelsea FC, I believe. And then Zach McMath, former Rapid, current uh, Fake Salt Lake goalkeeper, and Will Yarbrough both had 10. That being said, Mark, the Colorado Rapids regressed significantly from a defensive standpoint. And if you look at the numbers, it was uh, the advanced analytics. It was not good for William Yarbrough, who in terms of goals added had a negative 9.17. That was second to last for goalkeepers who qualified in Major League Soccer. And then if you look at where the main negative for him, it was in shot stopping was at negative 4.2, also second to last among goalkeepers that qualified in MLS this season. So Mark, if we look at it, almost all of the negative parts that Yarbrough had, if you just replace him with an average goalkeeper, the Colorado Rapids would have allowed not quite eight and a half goals fewer from a shot stopping standpoint. That being said, William Yarbrough's single best asset is his communication and his organizational skills, Mark. And where I will push back on the analytics community is there's not yet a really good metric for that. If I just look at the tables they have at uh, American Soccer Analysis, the uh, individual uh, qualities that they have for evaluating a goalkeeper are claiming, fielding, handling, passing, shot stopping, and sweeping. And then you sum all that together, you get the goals added. JT Marcan is very bad. Um, Andre Blake, Sean Johnson, very, very good. There's not really a stat in there, Mark, that accounts for William Yarbrough sees something moving that the other team is doing, yells at Danny Wilson or yells at somebody else to change the shape that allows the team to better deal with that, that prevents the opportunity that led from that initial pass-moving phase of play from the opponent. There's no metric that tracks that really well. That's the one aspect, that's one of the complexities of soccer to where I feel like the analytics hasn't fully developed itself in the ways that you have for increasingly baseball, football football to a lesser extent hockey and basketball so the team regressed defensively significantly part of that was William Yarbrough did not make some saves in some difficult moments that he would have in 2021 that being said I still think the biggest issue was what was going on in front of him Danny Wilson regressed Lal Sabubakar regressed defensively as you mentioned earlier the Rapids didn't really have an answer for what was going to happen post Austin Trusty. they weren't great defensively with Austin Trusty. and then uh, how much of what was a problem this season would have just been paper 
hampered over by having Kellen Acosta and Jack Price as coverage in front of all of that defense in terms of William Yarbrough. I think Yarbrough was a, did a yeoman's job at times in games where what the defense in front of him was an absolute mess, and the only thing that he could really do was kind of absorb pressure and try and make shots, and there were plenty of games where he came up with big saves that tried to keep the team in games, or where they were getting shellacked, and, you know, I, I think another keeper on another day, Mark, that game in Philly, goes from 6-0 to maybe 8 or 9. So there are plenty of games where on the stats line, Yarbrough was credited with a bunch of goals conceded, and which he did a lot of work to make that scoreline less ignominious. What happens next year, I'm not sure. Um, I still think Yarbrough should be the starting goalkeeper for this team, hopefully with a healthy Jack Price, a renewed midfield, and maybe a Buba Carcada. The defense in front of him is much better and have to be less reliant on him given he is not an elite shot stopper in MLS, even though I still think there are certain qualities he have that make him a very good goalkeeper in MLS. Uh, with that, Mark, we'll move on to question number seven. How will Galvan's injury impact the team? What does this mean for Lewis and expectations for him? Uh, Mark, similar to the question about Jack Price. What were the Rapids missing with Galvan being injured? What problems did that present? What can we expect to be better with hopefully a healthy Galvan in 23? Well, so the interesting thing about Galvan is that he um, hypothetically was really going to fit in. The complicated thing with Galvan was that he, the team was playing in a 5-3-2 where Galvan was often the left wing. Um, in that situation, but he's very attacking and he made a lot more sense in like a five, two, three, where he was like the front guy in the, in like the top left, which made him kind of like, you know, the, the ideal situation would be to have the front three be Galvan, Rubio, uh, and Lewis or Galvan, Rubio and Barrios. But that was like too much of a good thing. It was like a lot of fast guys, who were very attacking, and it left some holes in the defense. Um, that being said, I think we all really liked what Galvan offered. The other thing was that he was a really nice left-footed player who could play on the right side and cut in and do some really neat, dangerous things, which was really, really fun. Um, and 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 we wanted to see that this season, and we didn't get to. Will he be back next year at the same level that he was at the end of last year? Boy, that is like the $64,000 question. Uh, it is really, really important to this team that they get back someone in the attack who's really dangerous. A guy who has the upside of like Max when Max is really, really clicking, but Max didn't do it very often. Like Max had like a few moments, like for instance, in this last game against Austin, Max had a few really nice moments, but like... Like, he had some burst out of the midfield kind of moments where he put Austin on their heels, which I really liked. Um, but they were few and far between. You need those kind of guys. And I think one of the biggest problems with the Rapids this past year is they didn't have a game-changing player, right? They didn't have a guy who would receive the ball on one touch, accelerate through the midfield in 30 yards, and force the defense to, like, reorganize itself in total chaos. Nobody struck fear into the hearts of opponents. The only guy who really did consistently was Jonathan Lewis. And Jonathan Lewis had a great ability to, like, dribble at you at a million miles an hour and then shank the shot really badly. Um, he, overwhelmingly, he actually did a pretty decent job of putting things on target. But but I digress. Anyways, point being, um, I think Galvan could come back. Um, and be pretty effective, but I still do think that this team 
is looking at a bunch of wing options that are like unsavory characters, right? Um, Barrios is going to decline. Sam Nicholson was never really a great option. Jonathan Lewis isn't particularly um, consistent anymore, uh, or it never really has been at scoring. Galvan's a big question mark too. So like we've got a lot of wing players where I think you bring back Lewis and you give him the start, but I think everybody else is kind of an open question mark. Matt, when it comes to homegrowns for the coming year, additionally, when we think about Philip Mayaka, our, uh, our um, draft pick from the MLS super draft, are any of the guys that are out there, Yaya Torre, Darren Yapi, Sebastian uh, Anderson, whose last name I couldn't remember before, uh, Abe Rodriguez, um, any other guys? Are there any homegrowns that are likely to make an impact in 2023? Uh, so, Mark, we'll, I'll, I guess I'll start with the question of are any homegrowns, were any homegrowns going to make an impact this season? And the short answer is no. Darren Yappi spent most of the time in uh with rapids too i do think he worked his way into the first team i think it's a fair question could he be a backup striker or at the very least is it i I think next year he could train regularly with the first team at times start with rapids too at times be the first striker off the bench for the first team Ali laraz hurt the whole season it was really a lost year for him i would have loved to see if he could plug some of the gaps and some of the issues going on in the midfield mike edwards a career um uh you know was a was a Rapids 2 guy. He is now with uh, Switchbacks, who, correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, I believe are in the playoffs, so we'll see what he does this season. But the fact that he's been two years with the club and it was a season on loan with the with the USL Championship team and then pretty much an entire season as a starter for Rapids 2, I wonder what's that saying about his potential and his ceiling and trust from the first-team coaching staff given how many issues there were at center back. Torre, um, you know, was, I thought, the best player for Rapids 2 this season. I think similarly could take a step forward but next year. But again, he had the injury. Um, I can't remember it was an MCL. I, I can't keep track of all the knee injuries on this team, Mark. So I think it's a fair question. When, if and when, do we see him for 2023? Obviously, I thought he was fantastic for Rapids 2, just like Yaya Tor, just like Darren Yappi, I think was ready to take a step forward for the team in 2023. That got blown up. Ralph Prizzo comes in. Mark, I think, had a couple really really good moments. Obviously, Robin likes him and knows him from his time in Toronto, but we've seen guys that are for the first time embedded in with the Rapids. It takes time for Robin Frazier to trust them. Ali LaRoz came back from whatever third division German team he was with in the academy setup and trained the entire second half of the year and got better and better before Robin Frazier was ready to say, let's give this guy a homegrown contract. And, you know, and then it was training and then it was a few stop starts and then it was get loaned out and play very well at times for a pretty good team in the USL championship last season with San Diego Loyal because Landon Donovan really wanted him on the team. And then it was, okay, what can Ollie do? Well, he's not going down to Rapids 2. He might be the first midfielder off the bench. He gets hurt. So maybe this year was just Ralph Prisso has to prove himself, and then maybe he gets some sniffs next year. Abrod was pretty much the starter for Rapids 2. I did get to see him get that start after Yarbrough was out um, in the Portland Timbers game. I thought he made a lot of steps forward. I think this year's Rapids 2 season was probably, for an individual, was the most significant for him. 
I don't think he's unseating Yarborough anytime soon. Could he be the backup next year? Possibly. Sebastian Anderson could say the same thing about him for the other Rapids two guys. And then Abubakar Keda hurt the whole year. Who knows? And then the last guy, eight homegrowns, one generous Adidas is Philip Mayaka. Um, Mark, every time I've looked at him in Rapids two, I'm not particularly impressed. I, I'm not sure his ceiling is any more than the last guy on the bench for an MLS team. And it might be he runs out his generation Adidas contract and then signs with a not great USL champion championship team. So homegrowns, unfortunately, were not able to make an impact. I think I'd have a very different answer to that question if uh, Torre doesn't get hurt uh, with a month to go in the season and if Ali the Raz isn't out for most of the season hopefully it looks better if nothing else I'd hope a healthy Ali the Raz a healthy Darren Yapi eventually a recovered um, Torre um, are able to be contributors for the first team in 2023 I think the other guys are TBD depending on other roster moves Mark, let's move on to question number nine. On that note, uh, how will Rapids 2 affect the first team? Mark, uh, what significance from a first team perspective did Rapidos have in their inaugural MLS Next Pro year? This year, they had like no impact. Um, they What they did was effectively consolidate like the U17 team and the U23 team and the guys who used to got, get loaned out to the switchbacks or to Memphis into one team. Um, in a good year, they allow for some of those guys to be like at DSGP and then ultimately not get, you know, onto the final 18 man roster for a weekend and then they get to play down at DU um, the next day. And they also get to train with the Rapid Senior Team. But, like, I don't think there were a lot of guys who were really a threat from R2 to play for the Senior Team this year. They were, like, very, very few. It was Yapi and Torre, and that was it, right? Um, and then there was that one game where Clint Irwin wasn't able to go and uh, um, uh, William Yarborough wasn't able to go, and so they threw Abe Rodriguez in there. And I think that was Seattle, at Seattle, right? At Portland. Yarborough got hurt. That was the, the red card, or not the red card, that was the penalty he gave up where I think he took a knee to the head. Um, so, yes. Yeah, and so, like, that's that's the meaning of R2, which is, like, when you're in desperation, you have a couple guys who are an option. I hope next year it means more. Um, you know, you know more about R2. It's unfortunate that, that, that I got this question. So if you have anything to add, please do. But like, you know more about R2 than I did because I didn't get to see any games because the quality of the streams and the publicity about what time the games were was unbelievably bad. And the statistics uh, on the um, MLS Next Pro website are awful. I mean, like, they're not necessarily accurate. Um, and even when they are accurate, they're counting stats, minutes, goals, assists. That's pretty much it. Like you, you just can't, you can't really know that much about MLS next pro. So for me, it's been an overall downgrade over, um, having those players just straight up play in USL, but maybe in year two, it grows a little bit. It improves a little bit and, and it, it, uh, maybe they put a little bit more resource into, into it. Do you have anything to add on that note before we, we turn it back to you? Okay. No, Mark, um, the, the front office and uh, the coaching staff really clearly see MLS Next Pro from a development standpoint, developing the individual and having individuals make steps forward and progress in their career and become better players supersedes the actual results on the field. Um, 
And in that regard, I would say it was a success for R2 in that it was an incubator for the high potential players that they have. Some of the kids coming up from the U-17s program who've kind of been, they've had a couple different programs for them. I thought they got a really good taste of a more competitive medium level. You know, what was missing in the, you know, in the MLS reserves or in the the U-20, the U-23 team, as you said, Mark. And like I said, I think it was it was a chance for Darren Yappi, Yaya Torre, Abroad to get regular minutes in ways that may helped them get a step forward. I think it's still a fair question whether or not they would have been better um, down with the switchbacks or in another good situation for them in the USL championship. But there's no doubt in my mind the Darren Yapi, Yaya Torre injury notwithstanding, a Rodriguez, Mike Edwards are better for the Rapids first team today than they were at the beginning of the season because of the playing time and the experience that they got in Rapids too. And I think that'll be the most significant thing. I but I'm, I'm really hoping and I do believe that Darren that at least two of those guys that I've name dropped in terms of that it got progress from Rapids too are going to be able to contribute something net positive to the first team next year as a result of that. All right, Matt. Here's my question for you. Can the veterans, Warner, Betishore, Moore, get it down when called upon and make an impact? Is this Drew Moore's final season? Matt, I think you can answer that one pretty definitively. This was Drew Moore's final season. Unfortunately, I'm very sad to see him go. But Mark, I think I agree. It was probably the right time. And I think it's a fair question whether or not he was just being, you know, a guy hanging around, living the vibes life and then trying to be a good guy in the locker room. This past season, he wasn't great in the minutes that he did have, obviously. And when he was brought on, it was usually out of desperation or specifically needing to have three center backs with a guy who could head the ball and then just be composed. Uh, in ways that Gustavo Viasia was not, in ways that Austin Trusty with his senior itis was not. Stephen Badisher, Mark, I I thought looked absolutely fantastic. You know, he played a couple different roles. He was on the right, he was on the left, even though he's naturally a uh, left back, I thought he was absolutely fantastic. He does not look his age. He will mark in February, be turning 36. There is a team option for him. I would absolutely pick that up. He's a great guy in the locker room. He's a really calm veteran. He's really composed in everything. He's been a great resource to a Sebastian Anderson, to a Jackson Travis as well. He does his job. He works his butt off and everything. He has got that old dog in him, and this old dog is learning and executing on new tricks. Sebastian Bit Stephen Betisher has been absolutely fantastic for me, Mark. I'd want him back. Even if he does, if he does next year what Drew Moore did this year, he's absolutely worth every single penny that the Rapids are going to pay him next year on the team option. Um, we know what Colin Warner is. We clearly know what his ceiling and what his floor are, Mark. Um, he's 34. He'll be 35 in June next season. Let me just pull up his season stats. So he had six starts, 18 appearances for 634 minutes and just the one goal. Um He's a good fill-in when you can put other stuff around him. He works really hard and does everything that he can. Um, would he? Uh, uh, would I be okay with the team bringing him back on the veteran minimum to again be the Drew Moore of 2023? I'd be okay with that. My bigger question is, is Robin Frazier's tendency to lean towards veterans that he trusts in and has a, a long-standing relationship with, does that supersede getting in the way of a kid who's trying to break into the first team? I would not bring back Colin Warner. 
if it meant that it was taking away significant minutes from Ollie LaRoz. Um, I think Warner did the best that he could given the situation in the midfield that I've already documented, um, and I do not blame him. We know what he is. He is not at fault for not being something that he was supposed to be. I'm not mad at Colin Warner because he could not be Kellen Acosta uh, or Jack Price this past season, and I still think that he can be a contributor, albeit in smaller spurts and in very specific situations where you ask him to do one thing really well, another thing okay, and then one or two times another thing. In those situations, I think he can have a role on this team, in addition to just being a locker room vibes guy, veteran present in training in 2023. Last question that we have, Mark, uh, that we'll both tackle. Um, will the team finally do something in the playoffs? Uh, Mark, unless something drastically changes that sees Vancouver and like three other teams be suspended or you know disqualified for, I don't know, breaking some FIFA rules or roster something or other, I don't think the Rapids are going to be in the playoffs this weekend. So will the Rapids do something in the playoff? No, they will do nothing because they will not make the playoffs. Um, Mark, this is a disappointment. And I think, unfortunately, it kind of highlights, I think it's a fair question that Rapids fans could ask, was last year going to be the best that it's going to be? And given the limitations this team has in terms of recruiting the top talent, like a Lucas Celarion, like a Sebastian Driussi, a Carlos Vela, a top striker, a top winger and anything, I think it's a fair question, you know, what that, you know, this team's ceiling is pretty well defined. You know, the, um, as much as I think, Mark, you and I both enjoyed watching Montreal and are glad that they've made it, I think their ceiling is pretty well defined when it comes to the playoffs. And I think just the notion that they're going to get hot at the right time and play the right teams like they did in 2010 and somehow find themselves in MLS Cup, that's increasingly been more and more improbable. It's teams that are well coached, that have a lot of depth, that have a really good center back, that have star players, and then get the job done. If we look at you know, just the teams that in the MLS 3.0 era have won. It's the Atlantas. It's the Seattles. I'll say LAFC because they've won two supporter shield as well. Um, and then if we're looking at, you know, it was Zella Rayon being fantastic for Columbus during COVID. And then last year it was, you know, it was NYCFC who had, uh, you know, Tati Gassianos who ultimately could end up being a $20 million striker. I don't think the Rapids are recruiting the types of players and building the types of rosters that have been MLS Cup finalists, MLS Cup winners. Can they win a game? Maybe, but, you know, I, I just, it, it highlights that I think increasingly, Mark, this team's going to have a ceiling and will have ultimately their playoff efforts will end in disappointment and heartbreak. It's hard to know how they're going to reconstruct. Um, it's easy to know that they will not reconstruct, to your point, Matt, the way we would dream of them reconstructing, which is spending big money on a big signing. You know, back in the day, some of the supporters group from C38 used to joke about the Rapids going out and getting Gareth Bales and Zlatans back when it seemed like no MLS team could get Gareth Bale or Zlatan. And then, of course... MLS teams got Gareth Bale and Zlatan, um, and the the Rapids don't seem to ever be in that hunt. Um, two questions kind of coming off of that. One, if they're never going to compete at that level, can they ever win MLS Cup? And question two, if they're not going to go out and buy at that level and they can't get into the playoffs again next year, 
then this is really the most important question that I'll, I'll not to no offense, Matt. I'm, I'm just going to asking you've said a, a million brilliant things today, but I'm going to ask the most important question for the podcast today. As of course we hit the final minutes of the podcast, right? Um, the most important question of this team is if they're not going to spend the big money and they're not going to make the playoffs next year, then at the end of 2023, are we blowing it up? Are, are Robin Frazier and Porrick Smith on the hot seat if they can't get it done with mid-price players? Because that's always going to be a problem, right? If, if you're not going to have the highest paid roster in MLS, can you get it done, get into the playoffs and make a good run? And if you can't, you know, what does that mean for the future of this franchise? That's the $64,000, the real $64,000 question. I think that's the league minimum salary. Um, So I guess, you know, Mark, you kind of I think we've hit on everything that went wrong. I guess there's some general stuff we could look at for the offseason. The expansion draft is coming up, folks. I don't have the it'll be a couple weeks before that happens. That'll be after MLS Cup. But Mark, there's 30 Rapids players that were on a first team roster this year. Homegrowns and GA players who haven't graduated. I don't think Mayaka's graduated or automatically protected. So slash out those eight plus one players to make it 21. Drew Moore is obviously retiring so that reduces it down to 20 and then uh, teams that are eligible for losing players in the expansion draft basically anybody who didn't lose a player to Charlotte last year there's 23 of those teams um including the Rapids, uh, can protect uh, 12 players after that. So the Rapids will have 20 players potentially eligible. They'll be able to protect 12 of those. So, you know, we could throw out, you know, Clint Irwin, uh, Colin Warner, Felipe Gutierrez, Mark, probably not being protected. Mark, are you, uh, yes or no, are you worried about the expansion draft? I say no, I don't think a Rapids player gets picked. Not even a, a second. And and any anybody who does get picked, I'm I'm not particularly worried about. I mean, this last year Charlotte didn't really do anything with it. They even they picked some players and then ultimately just moved them right on. Um, the the one I can think of that was really befuddling was Ismail Tajuri Shradi, who they picked in the expansion draft and then traded on to LAFC and didn't really do anything with, which was such a mystery to me. So no, the Rapids have nothing to worry about. Mark Giassi's artist back with the Rapids on opening day. Yes or no? Is he a DP? If so, yes or no? I don't think he's back. I think I think the team. I think he's. I think he's going to be more expensive for the Rapids to resign him than for them to let him go to some other team. And I don't think he goes to another team uh, for much of a high price. He's going to be one of those. You know, classic free agent veterans who is too expensive to be re-signed by his own team, so winds up with a contract that's kind of like unimpressive somewhere else, a la Kai Kamara, who had a great season this year for Montreal. Um, the dude has played for every team in the league, it seems like, so... I think Zardis is back, Mark. I don't think he's back as a DP. I think they work it out to a term that makes sense, but also a number that makes sense. I think 700K would be totally fine with that. Uh, Mark, do you bring back Felipe Gutierrez? Yes or no? I do, but I just don't think he's, he just doesn't, he's a great addition to the team, but he doesn't really move the needle. Like, you know, he's, if, if our midfield next year is Jack Price, Felipe Gutierrez, and Brian Acosta, you're going to be hosting this podcast with somebody else a lot more often, just because I don't want to talk about it. You know, we're it's going to be it's going to be like, you know, do I go for a hike in the mountains this weekend with my son, 
or do I watch this meaningless Rapids game with a midfield that is just boring as snail snot? Because no offense, but that's that's what it's going to be. Those three are just not the most exciting midfielders in the league by a long shot. I'd bring him back for less than 500k if you could get him and you could make it a team friendly deal from a money and then where if given his his injury history mark if you could get out of it so maybe like a one-year deal with two team options then maybe some performance incentives that's be something that i'm open to so if i'm putting you know if i'm putting my money where my mouth is do i think felipe gutierrez is back with the team next year i will say no mark there's a million dollar option for a 50 percent ownership rights to um left back lucas estevez estevez back with the team next year yes no I think Estevez, it's a good question. I mean, the the real question is, like, how much do they think that Galvan is ready to step in? But um, because I think Estevez was not necessarily going to be the starting left back to start the season. God, I don't know. I mean, I feel like maybe they think they can do better, um, especially for the price that is being uh, forced upon them. I think Estevez is not back. What about you? I think it depends on how negotiations go with Sardis and the timing of that, because then if they don't bring him back, then you need to go out and get another striker. We know that's going to be more expensive, so then those funds need to get allocated. Obviously, re-signing Jossie Sardis, unless that adds to the transfer fee to Columbus because of the various incentives clause or something, and I don't think that'd be... like It'd be like 100 k or something like that, Mark. So... Um, I think if I think if negotiations move quickly and well financially from a Zardis perspective, I think that's money that you could allocate towards Estevez. I'm not ready to predict whether or not. I think if Estevez is not back, I disagree with you, Rabbi, on Galvan stepping in there. I think Galvan will be further up the field. I think the Rapids might go out and try and get another young player. Um, you know, maybe try and go after a distressed asset, young homegrown from another MLS team. Or worst case scenario, I think maybe you bet on Markanich if he's proven something in training that we just didn't see from him on the field in actual competitive games um rabbi how much uh, how much money would the team have to offer you in january for rubio for you to part ways with him Uh, three million i mean it's he's a he's a very valuable asset i wouldn't want to get rid of him even though he's getting older i don't think anybody in the league would offer more than 2.5 uh, I don't think I would take less than three and a half because he's well. The thing for the Rapids is he's irreplaceable. I mean, like you know, they just can't. The, no amount of money the Rapids are going to spend out there is is going to bring in a guy who's who's going to be. Now the challenge with Rubio is really effectively that like, um, can he duplicate his production? Um, and the other piece that is difficult for the Rapids is can can he do it in a season that is meaningful, right? Like, I don't remember what the exact stat was, but like Rubio has been good for the Rapids when they've been bad, right? When they've been, I think 2019 and 2022 are his best seasons. And those are both lost seasons for the Rapids. What do you think, Matt? Um, I was going to say, I was going to say 2 million was going to be the absolute minimum. Somebody calls and doesn't offer you at least 2 million. If I'm poor Smith, I'm hanging up the phone. I take 2.5, depending on what the total assets were and maybe what other moves that you have going on. And again, that might depend on where you are from a timeline standpoint with making a decision on Zardis, bringing Zardis back. Uh, and then the same thing for Estevez. I think there's a lot of moving parts from a financial standpoint in some of the other moves that would be a variable, but less than two, I'm not even talking about it. 2.5, 
3.5. Let's have a conversation. Uh, like you said, Mark, 3.5. Uh, Rubio's gone. Um, uh, let's let's move on to general offseason moves, Mark. Uh, Mark, who's your MLS Cup winner? What does the USMNT do in Qatar? Who wins the World Cup? All right. Um, who is going to win MLS Cup? Well, that is a really good question, and I'm not really sure that I feel confident in any of the possible answers, because the consensus favorite, I think, would be Philadelphia. That's my take. I think they're stronger top to bottom than LAFC, and in a final meeting, that would be make a lot of sense. Um, I, th- But having watched them play just the other day and watched them for the last couple of weeks, I really like Austin. Um, my dark horse for MLS Cup is Nashville because Hani Mukhtar, if you just like turn him up to 11, is real trouble. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll say the boring answer is Philadelphia and the exciting answer is Nashville. Matt, who's your favorite for MLS Cup? Philadelphia Union will win MLS Cup at LAFC and they will do so while LAFC outplays them. Not quite, you know, Joe Willis 4.5 XG and then, you know, 15 shots on goal like Nashville had the other day. But I think LAFC will play better, but then will lose MLS Cup. Uh, Mark, uh, USMNT and then World Cup predictions. Uh, are we literally not going to talk between now and the World Cup? That's not possible, right? We'll, we'll meet before then. Okay, okay. Is, is, is that a commitment to us doing another pod? We don't have to, but I think I like, thought we were going dark after this. I need a break where I, I'm, I'm going to try and do I'm going to try and get the, the Marcelo Balboa interview this week. And I'm going to try and get Drew Moore next week and then find me on the beach. And by beach, I fine. mean the beach at a basin. No, sounds good. Sounds good. Um, I, I, apparently you're going to cut this, right? <laughs> um, Ooh, we're leaving it in. We're leaving it in, Mark. But OK, just your your, your initial one in, with your, your initial predictions with permission to change it. And maybe we'll do a pod if um, we'll, we'll do a pod if uh, Sam Vines makes the roster. How about that? Oh, that's exciting. All right. I'm going to be Mr. Negativity, the dark cloud in everybody's um, exciting moment. We crash out and do not make it past the group stage in Qatar. Um, And the winners in Qatar is Peru. No, that doesn't make any sense. That is so far off and such a difficult question um, in terms of like who is who is likely to be the best team in Qatar. Um, Jeez. Um, you know, I mean, the, the consensus favorite, like every year when you go through things would automatically be like Germany. Like if you were going to be lazy, you would just say Germany's going to win it or Brazil's going to win it. Um, at least this year, you can't say that about Italy, right? Um, God, I think if you were going to say something really crazy and say something really interesting was going to happen, I think you could make a cogent argument for why this is the year that a team from South America wins it again. Maybe this is the year that Argentina does it. Um, yeah, fine. That's that's my fun call. I'm going to say Argentina wins the World Cup. Man. All right, Messi wins the World Cup. Uh, give me Brazil, Mark, and I think they'll beat Belgium in the final. I think the U.S. gets out of the group, but they do it with zero style points and by the hair on Christian Pulisic's chinny-chin-chin in that it will not be deserving, and I think they'll play a, a, a much better team, maybe not a contender, but you know, certainly like Belgium in 2014 where Belgium was at that time. I think it'll be the quality of the opponent they get in the first round. 
they will lose and they will massively be outperformed in that game as well. Um, Rabbi, I think it does it for us. As I mentioned, folks, so we've got a couple of interviews in the works, but if you don't hear from us in a couple weeks, that is certainly possible. But Rabbi, let's get out of here. Uh, we are sponsored by Icarus FC and Roughneck Scarves, makers of custom-made kits for whatever purposes you want, your own team, uh, or for a bachelor party, something fun, something festive, uh, something creative, something colorful with a neat collar, whatever you like, Icarus has it for you and Roughneck Scarves. They've got all sorts of great fuzzy neckwear from the silks to the the, um, the thick wool. They've got some good stuff uh, for the World Cup. You may want to check that out. Um, they also make custom stuff if you have an order 50 or larger. Matt, tell them how to hit us on the socials, how to read our written stuff like my position-by-position position, uh, breakdown of how the Colorado Rapids were in 2022 for holdingthehighline.substack.com and how to reach us in the off season via email. Yeah. So find us on all the Twitter accounts at soccer underscore rabbi at LWS Matt Pollard at holding at rapids 96 podcast. Uh, check us out on all the websites, Pittsburgh soccer. Now last word on sports.com Pat, backslash soccer and holding the highline.substack.com find us an email at rapids 96 podcast at gmail.com paid highliners you can still submit your evergreen paywall content suggestion as we i'm sure we'll get bored and need something to write about or pot about so if you want that uh this would be the uh, great time for you to do it listeners in the words of richard fleming bye bye for now Peace.